0: Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast. My name is Eric Degatti, along with my good buddy, Michael Perry. Mike, how are we doing today? Eric, I'm doing well. How are you today, sir? Uh, I'm good. We're going to talk about a topic today in programming that not a lot of people talk about. Um, It's in terms of how your actual facility is designed. Now, sometimes you get to pick this, sometimes you don't. Um, In your case, Mike, we're going to talk a lot about skills, strength, your place, uh, up in Massachusetts, and uh, in my case, I don't, I don't have that liberty. Um, whether it's a space that I rent when I see pi- uh, private clients, or whether I'm going to schools, um, I'll talk about you know considerations for for team settings and what you got to consider there. But um, you know, tell us a little bit about skill strength, kind of how that came about, and what your mindset was, kind of putting that together you know, in terms of the facility layout, you know, I'm a former facility owner of my own. I'll kind of talk about, you know, uh, my my experience, but I want to hear about skill strength and kind of what your, your thought was in terms of putting that together.
1: Absolutely. So when we initially opened uh, where we currently are, we only had about 3,000 square feet. Uh, currently, we're at about 7,500, but we knew that we wanted to basically offer group training programs for adults. That was one of the, the things that we wanted to focus on and we'll get to the reasons why in a second here, but we knew a couple things. One, we needed some racks, we needed some kettlebells and we needed some space. That was really what it started off with. And I wasn't necessarily thinking at first that, Hey, we're going to lay this out in a systematic way so we can create a flow and, and we can move our clientele through in a systematic fashion and eventually we were able to do that because we, we made mistakes along the way, but uh, we also learned a lot as well. So I think one of the things we knew that we needed was open space because, you know, with, with the way that we teach, we spend a lot of time, you know, teaching and educating our clients about soft tissue, about breathing, about just, you know, movement in general. And when it comes to the way that we prep and train, we knew that open space was, uh, really at a premium, right? Because we needed that. That was a big part of what we wanted to, to offer. And we're not going to be that type of gym that just has rows of treadmills and bikes and rowers. We do have those things, but we knew that open space was important because it could be it could be a space that we could use for, for various different things. So we knew that first we wanted an open space and we wanted turf because um, being a kettlebell guy, doing a bunch of swings and get ups on like a, a nice turf is a little bit better than a really, really hard floor. But also we do work with a lot of field and court athletes and, and having turf is just nice. And, and to be honest, 10, 10, 10, years ago, almost 11 years ago, when we opened a lot of people didn't even have turf because uh, it was, it was just starting to happen. So we had a plan, but it wasn't exactly the way that we thought it would lay out, but we knew we wanted open space and we knew we wanted cages and we knew that we needed a few cardio items, and we started off with air bikes because that was sort of the the to be honest, that was one of the cheapest things we could afford. And we could you know really uh, design a workout that was going to be impactful, but at the same time, it wasn't an injury for anybody. So we initially started with, okay, we've got space. we've got a rep. We knew that that open turf space could be used for, like I said, it could be athletic development, could be for sleds, it could be for kettlebell work. Could be for agility work. It could be for mobility. It, it really covered a lot of bases for us. So we knew that was something that we wanted to have. Um, then we had sort of our rubber area, which we did a lot of our strength training because if you've spent any amount of time lifting, doing deadlifts and squats on turf, it's just, it's not the most comfortable. Um, you know, from a stability standpoint, it's a little bit more squishy. And if you're looking to lift heavy, you want as stable. floor as possible so we knew that we had that sort of rubber area as well and that was going to be a big part of it and obviously the cages go on top of that so that that was the multi sort of a multi-use scenario as well then we expanded so we need is etc and that was more rubber Um, but we also wanted a little bit more turf as well so we could start doing a little bit longer stretches of agility work and sled push But we also added a medicine ball wall too. And and the reason why we wanted to add in that medicine ball wall was so we could do rotational throws with med balls. But at the same time, you can use that open wall for various exercises like wall sides or wall sits or hack squats, etc. So we, we knew that we still had to allow us to program different things in the specific areas because as we know, certain exercises do well in open space, certain exercises, you need a cage. So eventually what ended up happening is we, we really had three areas that we would do things on. We'd have our turf area. What was wide open. We have sort of our platform area, which is wide open. And then we had our cage area, which it's, it's wide open in the sense that there is space, but it's not free space because in the cages, you're going to be doing your pull-ups. You're going to be doing your bench. You're going to be doing all of those other exercises that involve cage. So, what ended up really happening down the road is we realized, wow, we have these sort of three main locations within our gym. And when we start to design our programs now, we have to choose what exercises are going to occupy what space and to make sure that we don't uh, we don't crowd too many areas. Like I made the mistake early on, oh, wait a minute, we just... Now we have everybody in the cage and no one in the open space. So we made these mistakes. And what had to happen is we actually had to change our programming. So, you know, one exercise could be in one area, the turf, one exercise could be in the cage area. And then another exercise could be sort of in that platform, that platform area as well. And, and that's how we actually ended up designing everything because we realized, wow, in order to have a flow, this is the best way to do it. So it's not always the way people would think about designing a program, but from a flow standpoint and from a. Uh, from a standpoint to give our clients clarity on where they should be it was one of the best things that we ended up doing and and if I'm being brutally honest it it was we did it on purpose as we learned but at first that wasn't our initial goal
0: well, you got you, There's a lot of gold in what you said there for for a lot of facility owners out there, and and one of the, the key points that wasn't lost on me as someone who's who's done it from from you know from the ground up myself, and and we had three different machinations of in three locations of my facility as we grew. And one is the fact that, you know, we'd all love to be Exos, right? And be able to be sponsored and we can have anything we want. And we have, you know, beautiful open bay garage doors that opened up to, to Arizona sunshine, or we have uh, uh, all the equipment we could ever want and all the space we can want. And we have a 40-yard Mondo track and, and a 20-yard field, but, but that's not reality for a lot of us starting out in the industry. And so with that, we have to maximize every square inch we have. And so um, being able to make the right choices and then the, the, the uh, way of kind of almost you ended up reverse engineering it, but um, looking into it like um, very much like Alan and Rachel Cosgrove have brilliantly done. It results fitness out in California and they built the facility to, to map out their program and you walk in and it's almost like a U shape where you start in a specific warm up area and then they have that where you're going to have your strength work and then you're going to move on to where you're going to do your conditioning and then finally cool down. So it, it works. It kind of walks you and guides you through almost like if you were doing a, a tour, in a museum or something like that but uh, it's very well designed in that fashion and then also understand that if we try to cram in too much right if we say well i want to have turf space well if you don't have probably at least a good 10 yards worth of space and probably at least a minimum of 12 to 15 feet of width that's going to be a problem um, because you're not going to really be able to um to be able to get a whole lot done, because once you figure out that you got the sled loaded up, it's it, you're going to get what three steps out of it and then you're done you, and you realize it's not going to really be productive. So so that's that's a consideration there. And I always remember a story when I was starting out, I, I knew a guy who um, actually hired Charles Poliquin to design his facility locally and the facility was really cool. The problem was it didn't match his clientele. The, the one thing you said there is we said, you know, you wanted to have an adult group fitness there. So this guy had this awesome facility that had like heavy chains and glute hand benches and reverse hypers and all that stuff. But he was training like stay at home moms and accountants. Like when's the last time you put your accountant on a glute hand bench? It's an awesome thing. I just used it with some college kids earlier today, but like. I'm not using that with, with the average Joe's and adult group fitness. So you got to plan your equipment accordingly, or you're going to end up wasting a lot of money in space. Um, And then the other thing with equipment that, that I deal with, especially at the high school level is when you get into a weight room where we make the mistake of having a piece, that's a single use piece or, and, or a single user piece. So a single use piece is a glute hand bench, right? You can do a couple different things off it, right? Um, but if you take the seated tricep machine, you're pretty limited on what you can do. And so you're dropping, you know, three to $5,000 on a machine that only does one thing. Um, and so if I can get a squat rack or a power rack where I can do a hundred different things in it, yeah, I'm gonna get a lot more back for my, uh, for my dollar and for my space. Then the other thing to factor in is, is an example, we'll go back to the glute hand bench, an amazing piece of equipment. But if I'm in a high school and I have one of them and I got 40 kids in a weight room, tell me how I program that, right? Without having a line of 30 kids wasting time and taking up space. So th- it's a great piece of equipment, but unless you have the ability, unless you are Alabama or you're Ohio State where you can buy 10 of them where we can maximize that, then you might want to reconsider. Now, if you're doing one-on-one sessions, that's a different story.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, and, and I've made this mistake as well. Uh, we tend to buy the equipment that looks cool and we think is going to be useful for our gym, but a lot of the time it just takes up space or that's where we put our coffee or our folders, or that's where we hang our mini bands. Um, you know, it's like, it's like buying a monolith, but you work at get it shaped for women. Like it's it, it there's zero sense in, in making that decision. And, and, and early on I did this, right. I ordered Um, early on, right away, I was like, I want to get a reverse hyper. I want to get a, you know, a 45 degree low back because, um, I like those pieces of equipment and early on we bought those and I got rid of them and it was because it didn't flow. And that was exactly it. We bought these pieces of equipment that I thought were really cool, but we rarely used them. And they were basically there for holding coffee and and putting people's laptops on for coaches. Right. So, um, what we ended up doing was getting rid of those. And, and what we said is, well, listen, if we are going to focus on a group training program um, at that point, we didn't cap our numbers. Now we do. Um, COVID was a big part of that, but I need to be able to find a way to accommodate 12 to 16 people, which means I need essentially three to four of everything. So I need, you know, three or four cages, I need an area that can have three or four, you know, space for three or four people doing lunges or split squats. And I need three or four bikes or three or four rowers or three or four ski ergs Because if I want to be able to create a program that is going to eliminate downtime, right? Because in a group training pr- program, people don't want to sit around. They don't want to just have to wait. They want to be able to say, Hey, that thing's open and then go from there. So I think if you are looking to work with groups you need to determine how many individuals you want to work with at one time. And from there, you have to buy several of that same piece of equipment so you can program it. And, you know, like one of those things, we have 10 squat racks at our gym right now. Um, we could probably use more space to hang like TRXs and do pull-ups, et cetera, if we could, but we simply don't have the space. But um, th- that was a big mistake that I made early on was trying to, you know, buy the cool stuff, like the, the stuff that I thought was going to, Um, help a ton of people. And and I had this sort of grandiose idea that we're going to be working with all these um, sort of high-end athletes. And and we do. But at the same time, when we initially started, it was lots of dumbbells, lots of barbells, racks, lots of kettlebells, space, sleds, some suspension trainers, and really good programming. And that was, honestly, I think you can get away with uh, running things very, very well with just the basics.
0: Now, the other point is, is factoring in in terms of your culture that you want to create, right? So there's a uh, certain vibe that you're going to get when you walk into Westside Barbell, right? There's going to be a different vibe that you get when you walk into a high-end um, place that, that, that's geared towards more of a boutique type of one-on-one uh, you know, for executives. And so to try to do that all at once is difficult. And that's one of the challenges I had at my facility, because we already had an established clientele of, uh, uh, with my training staff of, of higher end one-on-one clients. But then I also had our performance, you know, clients that were coming in and it it, it lended itself in some ways to a somewhat cool atmosphere of, you know, the, 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 um, you know, the the dad who loved to see, you know, when his kid was working out that there was an NFL player, or an MLB player in the room. Um, But at the same time, like if I got some college kids, you know, rolling in with their sleeves cut off and they want to blast rap music that may not blend real well um, with the, you know, physical therapy client that's, that's, you know, starting to, to learn how to, to get on and off the floor. And so um, everything from your music, everything to what goes on the walls, to um, even the color, even the, even the, 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 you know, what type of equipment lights, you know, some people see a bunch of uh, platforms and and turf and they get very intimidated by that. Um, So if that's not going to be the bulk of your clientele that you have to consider, but at the same time, there's, there's the athletic population that, that if they want to come and work and they want to kind of have that grind mentality, they might not want to walk into a real foo-foo type of uh, environment. So you have to be able to have that delicate balance. And that comes in also in terms of your timing, how you map out your schedule throughout the day. Um, I know a lot of your MMA fighters are there in the mornings when there's not a lot of other people there. So it's not really intimidating. Right. But if I saw some of your, 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 your fighters, you know, and I'm a, uh, a, a 70-year-old grandma coming in, I might get a little intimidated when I'm coming to work out, right?
1: Yeah, and I think that ties into the scheduling, like you said. So we do, we work with everybody from, you know, one-on-one clients, post-rehab, and, and obviously the pro fighters, but we have these sort of designated times for a few hours where all the fighters pop in and they, they kind of take over the gym for two to three hours, uh, which is fine. And everybody kind of knows that that's when the fighters come in. Um, but it's fine because it's it's, the cool thing is, you know, these guys and, and, and gals, they're, they're sweethearts, right? Obviously, yes, they fight and they're, they're lethal in the cage, but they're some of the nicest people too. And it's funny because you see all of these, you know, UFC guys interacting with these moms and, and it's pretty cool because, you know, at first you can tell there, a lot of people do get intimidated because it's, you know, these, these combat athletes that their goal is to, you know, break arms and try to knock people out. But at the same time, it's, it's cool when you actually see, you know, people that are, you know, just spending time and having these conversations with these pro athletes, but at the same time, they're just a mom with a few kids and they're trying to, you know, get in shape and, and uh, you know, make themselves a little bit, you know, feel better, move better, uh, perform better. So um, I, I do think it's cool when you actually get that sort of cross-pollination of individuals as well, because it just goes to show that if you have a, if you attract people that want to work hard, that want to be successful, but are also friendly and care about the other people around them, I don't think it's that much of an issue. But you're right. If you, you know, if like you said, West Side is going to be very different than a women's only gym. It's just how it is. So I think you also have to um, look at your marketing too, and I know we're talking about program design, but you have to look at the way that you market your gym. Because if you are marketing marketing your gym as this sort of powerlifting, you know, gym where you're you're in there and you're you're crushing weights and making a lot of noise and blasting music, you're probably not going to attract the adult group training people that are 50 years old that are you know trying to maybe do a Spartan race on the weekend. So you just you really have to think about every aspect of how you're doing things because uh, the the information you put out there as far as marketing, even social media, that is going to send a message and people are going to look at that information and say, hmm, maybe it's this gym for me, or maybe it isn't based off of what I'm seeing. So uh, I think there's a lot of things to consider when it comes to how you lay out your gym and, and sort of eventually find your identity of your own gym.
0: Now, the other thing to go back to schedule is realize that if you think of the flow of a session, you have your your warm up, your movement prep, and then you may get into more dynamic things and then your strength work. And then it starts to ramp up and have this crescendo and then it cools back down. And so um, if you think about that and how your sessions may overlap, right? So whether it's one-on-one or a group, if how your sessions overlap, if one group is coming in to warm up while another group is at their peak, or another group is trying to cool down, that, sh- that's, that makes for some challenging dynamics as well. So if we look at it from the culture ambiance type of thing. So if I'm going to go, you know, in my high end of my, my routine, I'm going with heavy squats and deadlifts or something like that. I don't necessarily want Yanni music on right? And, and, and waterfalls in the background, right? I want to get, I want a little bit more high energy atmosphere where at the same time, if I'm trying to cool down and do some breathing and some more meditative type uh, mobility work, well, then I don't want ACDC blasting at, at 10 um, in my ear. So, so that has to be a consideration in terms of, do you have certain spaces within your place? Like in my facility, uh, we had a couple different versions of it, but we had areas that were a little more quiet that if I wanted to have you go off and do some breathing uh, or if I, in the beginning of your session, want to just kind of do a reset or we want to even just be able to talk. Like we want to do some nutrition conversation, right? Trying to do that while someone's clanging weights or screaming next to us is going to be really difficult. So having those quiet spaces and then also allowing for the spaces where we can let loose a little bit is, is, a, is a balance you have to strike. Then from a, even from a layout standpoint, right, if I'm laying on the ground and foam rolling, I don't want to be doing that next to somebody who's dropping power cleans, right, and I want to have a barbell land on my head. Or if I'm, I'm laying there stretching, I don't want to be next to the, to the echo bike that's whipping a fan in my face the whole time. And, and that could be a little distracting when I'm trying to, trying to uh, focus on, on my movement. So like even those little things are huge considerations in terms of your programming and how that is going to get laid out. If someone's trying to find a space to, to place a mat or a foam roller and, they, and you have a group of 12 people who are doing shuttle runs up and down your turf, you know, where do we go?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that if there's anything that was beneficial about COVID is, so we used to run classes and, and we never really capped things in, you know on the weekends when we'd have sort of our busier classes, which is more of like, a, it was a conditioning day. People love to come in on a Saturday morning and, and get a great workout and see their friends, but there could be 30 people in there. And uh, one thing that we realized through the COVID scenario is that um, when things got too crowded, the quality of our our, our product uh, wasn't just as good. It just was simply not the same. And we had to change the way that we did things to accommodate more volume. And and the problem is, is when you decide to bring in more people and have more people in your gym, uh, your programming has to change to accommodate that. And oftentimes, you know, what you started out with as a boutique gym where everybody gets attention and that's how you grew your business, all of a sudden that changes because you have to run, like this sort of boot camp thing where people do thirty seconds at a station and thirty seconds at a station. We didn't want to do that. So for us, uh, one of the benefits of of COVID is we said, hey, you know what? We're going to cap our classes, so we can actually, you know, keep in touch with individuals. But it allowed us to manage the flow and and, and manage the amount of people at the gym at the same time. Because you know, if we've got twelve people in a class, that's where we cap it. And we've got six coaches doing personal training. Well, well, there we go, right at 18. And then if we have another 10 or 15 spots for open gym, it, it gets a little crowded. So we try to limit the total amount of people in the gym at once. So everybody has space to do things. And the only times that we really tend to run into a little bit of traffic is those transition times from like a class is getting over and a class is starting. So those are the times that we tend to, you know, have a little bit of overlap, but it's usually five to seven minutes of just, you know, people coming and going. And we tell people, listen, we'd love that you want to talk to each other, but uh, do us a favor, you know, get out in the hallway and catch up because, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to start a class here. So I think, um, I think too many people just forget about these sort of day in and day out things because they think about what's the cool equipment I have and what's you know how can I do this and how can I do this and how can I grow this, but they don't think about sort of the in between times and and all of those other things that go into laying out a facility. And I think another thing that people really neglect is how to utilize the space uh, to the best of your ability. And one of the things that we try to do is. We try to get as many things on. We have these big, big uh, wooden beams. We're in a big mill building. These beams are 18 inches by 18 inches. They're giant. And we try to hang as much stuff as we can on these wooden beams to get everything off the ground so we can have some open space. So that's nice because it, it allows us to, again, sort of outfit the gym and not have too many things on the floor. But it does another thing. When equipment has a place, your clients are more apt to put it back. If you just throw all the kettlebells in a corner... It's never going to go anywhere. We spent a lot of extra money on racks and we actually labeled everything. And while it's not perfect, I would say 75, 80% of the time, people are putting their stuff away now. So that is something that I never thought of. And we only did this in the last couple of years because I was sick and tired of going in there and just, you know, picking up mini-bands and kettlebells and dumbbells. And it and it looked like a looked like a, a garage sale just threw up in my gym and it was just awful. So I think creating a, a location for all of your equipment is something that you should try to do right away if possible, because so many people don't think about that. And I didn't either until I get to the point where I was like, this place is a dump and I need to change it.
0: Yeah. And, and some of that obviously comes down to us and, and, and our coaches. And, you know, I always say you get what you accept. If you let people put stuff all over the place, they're going to continue to put all over the place. But, you know, I have more than one time I can tell you that I've grabbed a high school kid and said, is that where that goes? And say, well, if you oh, yeah. don't put it back where it goes, then someone else has to go looking for it. So that's not fair to the next person. So just put it back and kind of use the old, uh, the, the um, Jocko Willink that discipline equals freedom. That if you put this 35-pound dumbbell back here, I never have to look for it. I don't have to waste a second of my time because I know right where it is. And that exactly. discipline is going to give me the freedom of more time that, that I can get more done here. And But there's also another big thing that that, that is the underlying factor of all this is safety. Is that and 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 again, I'm dealing with weight rooms that are not that big in high schools and public high schools, that if kids leave dumbbells scattered all over the floor and in that same area, kids are doing some kind of jumps or they're doing something like that. The last thing I need is is someone hitting a dumbbell and rolling their ankle. So from a safety purpose, I have to be really careful if there's an if we're doing deadlifts or anything where the weight's gonna get potentially dropped. There's got to be plenty of space there. If People are coming in and out of racks that there's space that no one's getting clonked in the head or hitting the, uh, you know, hit with the weight as they're going through or, or getting disrupted in the middle of their set. So safety is a huge factor and, um, considering how things are going to lay out and say, okay, well, do I have enough space? If someone's whipping medicine balls, make sure that's not in a, a thoroughfare area where people can get, can get, you know, uh, clothesline by a med ball coming across so um those are some some factors and then if we just circle it back to wrap it up right we talk about program design that's that's suited to the facility and um we look at just the 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 basics and we went through some of them of you have floor right what type of flooring you have is going to impact what type of stuff you're going to be doing on that flooring like you said strength work generally doesn't bode as well on turf or carpet as it does on a rubber floor but at the same time if you're going to do any type of agility work or or change of direction that doesn't bode well on rubber flooring especially if it's not a set rubber flooring that could have some give to it or, or, or buckle if you especially if you have tiles type of stuff you know floor work like get ups or mobility work or foam rolling on like hard vct floors or, 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 or you know hard court floors are not going to work real well either then you go up into the walls. Sometimes, like you said, you need just plain wall space. If I'm going to do a wall sit, I'm going to do some wall reaches. I'm going to just do some some half kneeling windmills. I, I need some wall space to work with. And we get sometimes enamored with so much equipment that we don't have a, a square inch of wall space to do stuff. So. The other thing with the walls is one thing that uh, I noticed at Skill strength. And I, and I was pretty big on it other than what was already pre-existing when I took over the spaces. There's no mirrors there, are there? No, no. And, and so that's no, kind of no, like, right. that's, that's like, that's, that's like, you know, when I grew up that was like, you know, bodybuilding gym one-on-one is you need to have plenty of mirrors. And so obviously that's going to be impacted by who your audience is, but mirrors can, can either be a, a help or a hindrance when it comes to movement. Right when it comes to trying to teach and coach, that if you're you're reliant on looking in the mirror, then um, then that's going to become an issue in in learning good authentic movement. But sometimes that mirror can be good feedback if we're looking to try to teach somebody some some certain things. Um, And then everybody knows that bicep curls work better when you look in a mirror. They just do. Science, you know, science one on
1: one man. I I don't argue
0: with you. Can't argue with the data. You know, and so I have my my college and high school kids come in. If they got bicep curls at the end of their workout, you could be damn sure that one little mirror that I have in the in the gym, they're going to find it and do it in front of there. Um, You know, so you have all those different elements that you have to consider. And then something that you also brought up is distractions, right? You know, I know what you have to deal with in your space is the way it opens up, kind of in a commercial building, is you have people walking by in the windows all the time, and you know, sometimes you're the, the, the fish in the aquarium, right. And you got people stopping and looking at you. Is that a distraction to someone's workout? If I got someone, you know, um, you know, that's going to be a distraction, or even if you have a bunch of TVs, you know, and is that going to be a distraction if it, it, whether it's people's focus within the workout or people are just not paying attention and they could end up getting hurt. That is, you know, some, some considerations, even I know in my high school weight rooms, I have a, a policy of no headphones. Um, because it's number one, it's a safety issue because if we, if somebody drops a weight and I have to yell across the room, you know, I need you to be able to hear that. Or if you're doing something really wrong, I need you to shout across the room so you can be able to hear that. So in terms of distractions, we have to also consider that what's, what's going on. Is there too much noise, whether it's TVs, whether it's outside people walking in or out, um, you know, distractions are something we need to minimize from a a programming standpoint. So it doesn't break up your flow. Like you said, you got a bunch of people hanging out after a class and other people are trying to do their thing that creates a problem.
1: Yeah. And I think also too, uh, when people I like, my biggest thing is, is especially with the younger kids is uh, if they're coming in, phone you know phones to the side because if they had it their way they'd be on their phones the whole time and like i can't tell you how many times i've seen someone walking and i'm like watch out for the barbell (laughs) because like literally you could tell they're and and they're they're right in line with you know getting ready to just bury their head into a you know into a barbell that's on the rack or something like that so um you'd be amazed like we have this little platform you've been there we have this platform at the gym and it's it's maybe four inches off the ground and tripped on that platform multiple times yes and and everybody trips on the platform and (laughs) And it's, it's coated with like bright yellow paint. And like, I don't know what else we need to do. Like put like led lights with like strobes on it or something, but I can't tell you how many people trip over that on a daily basis. And I'm like, it's bright yellow. But again, it's just weird because this just little change in grade. I mean, people do it all the time. And it's, it's, uh, and again, if I, I didn't have a choice because, uh, the landlords wanted to dampen some of the sound in the building. So they actually said, we're going to build this platform for you. But um, I can't tell you how many times, man. You gotta, you know. I've seen people trip on that, and 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 honestly, I hate to say it, but uh, a lot of people are, are are not aware of their surroundings in general. And if things are hanging all the way around the gym, and you've got like we do a lot of our grip training with our fighters, we've got a bunch of stuff uh, like you know different types of grips uh, that you they can hang off of. And I can't tell you how many times people just wham! It's just like really like pick your head up we've all seen the viral videos of someone walking down the street in new york and they smashed their head on like a crosswalk sign because they're just not paying attention but i mean distractions are huge and i would say the the biggest culprit is cell phones because yeah you know god forbid you miss someone's post or you know a text message or a phone call and i get it like i understand if you're a parent and, and you know you need to keep in touch with your kids or whatever that's fine but i mean most of the time it's you know it's people on instagram or you know doing selfies and posting them on tiktok and stuff like that so um you know i always tell people just pay attention you know because again if you walk into uh you know if you walk into a barbell and you get yourself right in the forehead it's not going to go well
0: and disclaimer i was probably on my phone every time i did trip over that that, that lip there
1: <laughs> that's fine that's fine. Um, um
0: so i wasn't doing selfies though I, I was probably looking up something very very important very, imp- very some, important. Yes. Yeah, so I was doing research on, uh, uh old Soviet programming methods and, in translator. That's what I was doing. Um, so, so that's a lot to consider. You know, we've been talking for a while about just the facility and it's something that, you know, a lot of program, you know, articles and courses and so forth, it's about reps and sets and, and yeah, that stuff's important, but like, it doesn't matter if you don't, have it figured out, you know. Yesterday, I started with a new uh, a new uh, high school and realized very quickly that I goofed up. That I, you know, I, I had assumed that they had um, the the equipment that I needed and they didn't, and had to make some make some changes on the fly. Um, and so, because of that, we had to to you know we have to kind of make adjustments because of it. Just didn't suit when I had thirty five kids in a weight room um, to to do what I needed it to do. So. Um, that all being said, um, that's going to start wrapping up this episode. So um, we do want to talk a little bit about, just real quick, um, we are our own sponsor right now with Principles of Program Design, which is our course, and basically it's a course designed for coaches, um, personal trainers, physical therapists, who basically anybody who basically uses exercise as their modality for improvement is you need to be able to answer some questions and we're going to question everything from uh, how you go about making decisions in those programs and how you go and execute those things. And at the end of it all, we're hopefully going to make you think a little bit and say, well, you know, I never considered that, you know, I didn't, I didn't think about that, or that's a, that's a very different way of looking at things. And so we're not necessarily telling you here's how many reps and here's how many sets we're going to tell you how you come about those decisions on your own. And so it's not so much, giving you the fish as we are teaching you how to fish. And so um, on that front, if there's anything you want to add to that, Mike?
1: Yeah, I think uh, one of the things we always talk about at the beginning of our course is we want to put you in a scenario where you ask a lot more questions so you can get better answers. And I think everybody's enamored on like you said like soviet periodization and every young coach that works in sports performance wants to memorize super training and all this other stuff but um it's the principles that we want to teach you about stress and adaptation about better decision making um when we work with athletes they do not come with owner man- owners manuals right they don't come in with just do this and do this and this will fix things it's it's multifactorial and what we want to do is we want to teach you to critically think. So when you make decisions, you're not just making decisions on your favorite bench press rep scheme. You're thinking about, well, what is this person, you know, what is their lifestyle? What are their habits? How is their sleep? How is their hydration? What is their uh, previous training history? There's so many things to consider before we go to the Excel spreadsheet and make the fanciest program. And I would even argue that a lot of the times those fancy programs and those Excel spreadsheets, a lot of the times it's just a bunch of crap, because if you don't know how that person is wired and you don't know how that individual makes decisions and thrives, then honestly, those sets and reps, they're not as important because, you know, if that individual, if you haven't uncovered all of those little sort of habits and those little intricacies of that individual, you're not going to be able to write an optimal program. And, and, And to be honest, programming, a simple programming done well with the the proper amount of education is going to be way more impactful than the post activation potentiation, French contrast training, blah, 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 blah stuff. So it's about better principles. It's about asking better questions. So when you do write that program, you're covering, you're covering your basis just with a little bit more detail.
0: Awesome. Well, we have an online version of the course, uh, that, uh, as well as a live course. Our next live course is September 24th at Perform Better Headquarters in Providence, Rhode Island. We hope you can join us. If not, check us out at PrinciplesOfProgramDesign.com. You can also follow us on all of the social medias. Just look up Principles of Program Design uh, or uh, Coach Mike Perry or myself, Eric Degatti. We want to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.